Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. Great, so we're in the Gospel of John and uh, we're in John chapter 3. And uh, I want to begin by telling you about a monument. A monument was planted, and I say planted because it's known as the obelisk, the obelisk monument in the United Kingdom. And this monument was planted alongside the Thames River in 1878, 1878, so quite some time ago. And when they planted this monument alongside the Thames, they dug up the foundations, and before they planted it and filled it, they put a time capsule in with the monument. Do you know what a time capsule is? Well, let me tell you, a time capsule is a case or suitcase of sorts that contains a slice of that era, uh, memories, artifacts that would be indicative of that particular time period. And so in this time capsule was a slice of Victorian culture because that was the era. And so there were coins in this time capsule, a whole lot of coins. There were children's toys, small children's toys. There was a London dictionary uh, of people who, who lived in different places and spaces, a razor of all things, and a number of other things. And then lastly, a printed verse from the Bible in 215 languages. Can you guess which verse? John 3, verse 16, was placed in the time capsule. Why? Well, one of the most quoted, one of the most memorized, one of the most famous verses, dare I to say one of the most misunderstood verses. So let's read the text. We're going to read from John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 16 to 21. And then we'll get into it. Here we go. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light And does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, one of the most famous verses, as I said earlier, I think is sometimes one of the most misunderstood. Misunderstood for a number of reasons. One, because often people misquote it. How you say, well, here we go. People say, God so loved the world, and uh, they forget to start it with four. 
For God so loved the world. Now you might think I'm being pedantic, but what this means is that there is a context in which we find this verse. There are verses that come before it, which is why it says for. In other words, it's in light of everything that has been said prior to it, everything leading up to it. What was that? It was last week's sermon, the encounter with Christ and Nicodemus about being born again. The image of, of, of Jesus being lifted up on a cross like Moses who lifted up his staff with the serpent and all who looked upon it would be healed. For God so loved the world. This is important. The larger context is hugely important regarding this one verse. We remember what Jesus said to Nick, don't we? In, in verse 3, he said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This was Nicodemus's predicament. And this was a loving thing to say. This was probably the most loving thing he could have said to Nicodemus. And then he speaks about the powerful working of the Holy Spirit in verse 8, where he says, the wind blows where it wishes. This is how we are born again. By the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of God's Spirit. So, verses 1 through 15 are crucial in the build up to verse 16. So that when we get to verse 16, when it says, For, for, for God so loved the world, it's not necessarily talking about the amount of love, like the amount of loving affection. No, no, it's actually describing the way in which he's loved. It's for in this way God is loved. So it's not necessarily describing the amount. It's describing the manner, the way. In this way God loved the world. He gave his only son. Then there's another misquote. Or another misunderstanding. And the other misunderstanding is that I've heard people say this before. I've even seen it written before. And they will quote verse 16, but it's a misquote. They will say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. What's missing? Not perish, but have eternal life. And the reason they will leave that out is because it's a little offensive, right? What do you mean? What do you mean by perish? I mean, you can't have God loving and perishing in the same verse. Surely those are kind of opposites, you know? You've got this picture of a loving God, and then you've got perishing. I mean, how is that loving? The big mistake that people are making is not only the obvious of misquoting, taking things out of Scripture that, that God has clearly put in Scripture, even putting words in God's mouth, so to speak. But the, the problem is that we actually misunderstand the love of God. The love of God is actually far more complex than what we realize. Yes, there is a simple aspect to it, but it's not simplistic. That would be a grave error. We need to understand that as we think through the love of God, it is not one-dimensional. As we begin to think through the love of God, what we begin to realize is that it is deep and it is wide and it is multi-dimensional. 
And so the great uh, Liverpool preacher, J.C. Ryle, says this. He said, let us take heed that our views of the love of God are scriptural and well-defined. The subject is one on which error abounds on either side. And in his commentary, he does a wonderful job of describing what the errors are on either side. And in summary, the errors are either you have an over-exaggerated view of the love of God, where, where, where no one perishes, and so you take perishing out, an over-exaggerated view, or you have an overly narrow view that God only really loves a few people. And those would be the errors but let me just help throw you in the deep end, all right, if this hasn't already. Come with me to the deep end, right? Because when we're thinking about the love of God and we've got these errors, what is it? How do we navigate our way through? We need to begin to think through some categories, like how was it that God loved the Israelites when he delivered them from Egypt, well, it's quite easy for us to think about that because it's such an amazing rescue. But the question then is, well, how was God loving towards the Egyptians? How, how did he love the, did he love the Egyptians? Was there any love for the Egyptians? And I would say, yes, there was, but we need to define it. We could go further and we could, we, the scriptures are clear about Isaac. Isaac, not Ishmael, Remember? How do we understand the love of God for Isaac and the love of God for Ishmael? How do we understand the love of God for Jacob, not Esau? The text is actually startling in Romans 9. It says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. We're in deep. How about David? David, not Goliath. How did God love Goliath? How did God love Peter? How did God love Judas? And we could go on. So here's the title for John 3.16 that I want us to consider. The delightful and difficult doctrine of the love of God. You thought John 3.16 was simple. So did I. The delightful and difficult doctrine of the love of God in John 3.16. And uh, these are the four things we're going to look at. Uh, these are titles actually that John Piper gave and I'm indebted to him. Because uh, I couldn't improve on them. Here we go. Number one, the danger. The danger is perishing, right? Verse 16, that whoever believes in him should not perish. This is probably the most sobering aspect of verse 16. And it's the most important thing that we could say. Yes, we need to tell people that God loves them. For God so loved the world. However, there is a danger. And the danger is perishing. You and I and everyone will perish unless we put our hope and trust in Christ. We are all perishing apart from Christ. Now, what is perishing? Well, perishing is living under the condemnation of God. It is terrifying. To live under the wrath of God is frightening. Verse 18 describes it. Verse 16, just two verses on. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, this is what perishing is, is condemned already. And you might go, well, that sounds quite harsh. 
And it is. But it's also the most loving thing you could do to warn people. There is a danger. And the danger is perishing. And you might go, oh, well, you know, how, can, where, how is this loving? Well, have a look at verse 19. 19 goes on. It says, and this is the judgment. How could God be so judgmental? How could a loving God be judgmental? Well, he says, well, here it is. This is how judgment works. This is the justice of God. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness. God hasn't done anything wrong to them. He hasn't caused the darkness. He hasn't created the darkness. God is light, and in him there is no darkness whatsoever. And so there is darkness in man. Man is fallen and sinful by nature and by choice. And so the people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. And so this is God's loving judgment. He's pointing it out to them. He's going, here, you need to know the case. You need to know the situation. You need to know the danger. God is lovingly doing something about it to warn everyone about the problem. He's giving an accurate diagnosis that there is a disease, disease called sin, and if you continue in your sin, and if your sin's not paid for, you will perish if you reject the light, you will live in darkness because you love the darkness. And verse 20 goes on and says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And so to perish means that we remain under the just judgment of the wrath of God. Why? Because we love the darkness rather than the light. And God's love is saying, don't love the darkness. He knows we love the darkness. Fallen man, unregenerate man, loves the darkness. And so the love of God is appealing to them, saying, don't love the darkness. I've sent my son, I've sent the light so that you may come out of darkness. But the problem is, when you love the darkness, you hate the light, as the text tells us. If you love the darkness, you hate the light. And what does that mean? It means you ongoingly trust and treasure yourself. So, John 3.16, hey? The danger. But there is good news. There is the design. The design is that for God so loved the world that he, what? He gave. He gave his only son. The design of God to rescue us from this danger is his self-giving love. He sends his only son to lay down his life and to take away our sins. This is describing the measure of God's love. We, we know he loves the world. The object of his love is the world. And so he comes and he sends his son and then he sends a warning. There is a danger. But the measure of his love is his sacrificial life. You want to know how much God loves you? Look to the cross. On the cross we see Christ, the Son of God, given up for us. 
But not only do we see the measure of his love in his self-giving that he gave his only son, but we also see here the manner in which his love is seen. The manner in which it is seen is that the value of his love is not just in what he gave, but to whom he gave it to. So we see the measure of his love. He gave his son, but who did he give his son to? The world. And who were they? They were a rebellious bunch, aren't they? Absolutely, we were. Romans 5 verse 8 describes it this way, but God shows his what? His love. God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, rebellious sinners, Christ died for us. So if we are going to be rescued from perishing, the design of God is that the love of God rescues us from the wrath of God. And this all by the sacrifice of the Son of God. The design is to rescue us by the love of God from the wrath of God through the Son of God. What a plan. Now, I want us to think through this love a little more. I want us to think about the love of God that is not just one-dimensional. Yes, he loves the world. But there are dimensions and layers and complexities to the love of God. For example, the first thing we need to realize here is that there is a unique love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. There is a Trinitarian love between the Godhead that is on a completely different level. Completely different level. Why? Because there's no obstacle to overcome. The, the inter-Trinitarian love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit is so different because there's no sin to overcome. There's no obstacles in the way. It is holy love. It is perfect love. It is indescribable love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the, the Father, and there is this beautiful picture. It is of another dimension. And so there's that level of love. Then there is a love which we call a universal love, which is what this particular text is describing. It is a universal love. It's different to the love of the inter-Trinitarian love. It's very different to that. But it's still love. And God loves the world in this way. He loves his creation. God is creator and he created and he loves his creation and he has a real care and a real concern for the world. And this is a love that issues forth in common grace. God sustains life. God restrains evil. Imagine if God didn't restrain evil, how evil our world would be. This is God's love for creation. This is God's love for humanity. It is a general love, and it motivates him to send his son for an undeserving world. And in sending his son comes the free offer of the gospel. The free offer of the gospel goes to everyone without limits. It goes to all people. For God so loved the world, not just Israel, not just Jews, he loves the world. He always has. Abraham, I'm choosing you, but 
so that you would be a blessing to all nations. This isn't just a New Testament concept. It's always been the case. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so God sends his son because of his love for the world to all people groups, to all nations, tribes, and people. And he wants to call people from every people group and every language and every age and every degree of sinner from bad to the worst. Come, believe, whoever believes. This is the whoever, right? Whoever believes shall have eternal life. But... Hang on. That sounds like it's conditional. And you're right. It is conditional. Whoever believes, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. And so there is a condition to this love. God's love for the world is not unconditional. Welcome to the love of God. God's love for creation is not unconditional. Although it is universal, it is not unconditional. There is an unconditional aspect. I'll tell it to you shortly. But the condition is you must believe. You must believe to escape perishing. Here's the design. The design is the love of God is going to rescue you from the wrath of God through the sending of the Son of God. And how do we receive this love? By believing. This is the duty, point number three. The duty of every person who's ever lived is that if you want to escape perishing, if you want to escape the wrath of God, you receive the love of God by believing by believing. Look at verse 16, that whoever believes in him should not perish. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed. There's the condition. You need to believe. So in order to enjoy the full benefits of God's saving love, you need to believe, receive Christ. It's, it's kind of like a criminal who's been convicted of his crime and is on death row, right? A convicted criminal, the case is closed, it's clear, he's on death row, and the judge suddenly comes up to him and says, I have a pardon for you. Someone has paid the price. Oh, do you want it? Here it is. You can take it. There's a condition, right? The problem is the criminal loves the darkness, right? In this particular case, the criminal loves the darkness, and so he's like, I don't want to go into the light. The light hurts my eyes. I don't like the light. I want to live in the dungeons. And this is the problem with fallen mankind, which brings us to this third point, and that is the duty. We have to believe, but as we saw last week, and this is where verses 1 through 15 are so important, the difficulty is I want to believe. How do I believe? Where does this belief come from? 
And the preceding verses, Jesus says to Nicodemus that believing in Christ is as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't see the kingdom unless you are born again. So you need to be born again in order to believe. And how do I get born again? Well, it's a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. He blows where he wishes. And this is known as the quickening love or redeeming love or covenant love of God. And this is the deepest level of the love of God, if we could say it that way. This is the love of God that is more than just an offer to believe. The offer of belief goes to all, but but what God does here in this instance is that his love is rooted in his mercy who then sends the Holy Spirit and the Spirit overcomes our rebellion and overcomes our resistance to love the darkness so that we now see the light and come to the light. And we come willingly. Let me, let me show you how the scripture describes this in Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. Listen out for the language I've just described. For God being rich in what? Mercy. God being rich in mercy because of the great love. This is another dimension of love. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we loved the darkness, he did something for us. He what? He made us alive. Together with Christ, conclusion, by grace you have been saved. This is love on steroids. This is supernatural love. Listen to how John Piper describes this. He says, those of you who believe on Christ, God wants you to know yourself loved, not only with the universal love of John 3.16, but also with his death-conquering, hardness-removing, rebellion-eradicating, sight-imparting, faith-creating, personal, individual, invincible covenant love of which we are absolutely undeserving. Amen? We who believe, we who trust in Christ, it's a miracle of redeeming, regenerating love that God has for you. And you might ask, why? And the answer is mercy. Mercy. God loves believers. Christians with an unconditional love. If you're struggling to understand this, a quick illustration. I've used this many times, and I think it's helpful. I've got kids, right? My own two children. And we've got kids. (laughs) I'm the only one talking, so I's right. (laughs) Too late. (laughs) We have children. And we love them, right? With a unique love. Does that mean I don't love other children? Of course not. I love children. Children are awesome. I love kids. 
Where's Greg Clark? Your kids are awesome. I saw one of them was in the surfing. I was surfing yesterday, and Greg's there surfing with his kid. And it's just amazing. I, I love children. But we know that, and this doesn't mean it, that I don't love Greg's kids, but I love my son more than I love his son. Right? And, and we're all okay with that, right? It's appropriate. So let me put it another way. Greg's got a wife, Anya. <laughs> And I've got a wife, Wendy. I love Anya, but Greg would be mad with me, right? If my love for Anya was the same as my love for my wife. There are dimensions to this. And if at a human level we can understand it, how much more at an infinite level? The love of God for his children, for his bride, for his bride is incredible. It is a redeeming love, a regenerating love that is much more than just a universal love. It is beautiful, it is precious. And this is why believers can say this in Romans 8. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will what? Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is for us, church. This is for believers to know this invincible, everlasting, eternal love, the unconditional love of God for his bride, his people, his church. Finally and lastly, the destiny. The destiny promised to all who believe is eternal life. Eternal life. It's free. It's a free gift. All you got to do is believe. And if you want to believe this morning, if you're going, I want to believe, then you can. Because the very fact that you want to believe is because the Holy Spirit is helping you to believe. No one is, no one, anybody who wants to come can come. And the reason you come is because the coming has been granted by grace. So come. Believe, trust Christ, and you will have eternal life. Notice this isn't temporary life. This is eternal life. And it is a glorious life. It is a life. It's the very life of Christ. He goes on in John 5. We'll get there. John 5, 24. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has Eternal life. Eternal life is not just what happens to you when you die. It happens to you when you believe. When you believe, you receive eternal life. And so to conclude, John 3 and verse 16 is the delightful and yet difficult doctrine of the love of God. It is the multidimensional Wonderful picture of the depth of God's love for his church, his bride, but also his love for the world. And he invites us to come. John 3.16, we are saved by God, from God, and for God. He gets all the glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to us. 
We've swum in the deep waters this morning of theology. We've had to think through logically. We've had to think through theologically. And we want to bring ourselves under Scripture. We want to submit ourselves. We don't want to misquote. We don't want to misunderstand. We want to enjoy the benefits of your saving love. We also want to invite whoever, whoever believes can know this love. What a privilege to move from universal to unconditional. What a joy to know the depths of the saving love of God. That all we need to do is say, I'll take the pardon. I'm guilty. I'll take the pardon. Thank you that you've provided a solution, a way out. And thank you, Lord, that not only do you send the light, but you send the Holy Spirit to show us that darkness is destructive. Thank you that you overcame the darkness of our hearts, the blindness of our souls. Lord, that you gave us light so that we would believe. Lord, there is mystery here. There is deep mystery. But we know this morning that at the end of the day, salvation belongs to the Lord. And that Jesus, you will be glorified. You will be lifted up. And your church will be your possession, your treasured possession for all eternity because you have redeemed a people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Thank you that we get to be part of this plan. What a privilege. Thank you so much, Lord, for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.